Amen. Amen. Good morning. Good to see you. Welcome to Willow Park Church. If you're your first time, if you're joining us online, uh, stick with us. Thanks for joining us. It's great that you're able to log on, watch us and what's going on. Uh, Willow Park is a, a great church of four locations, six congregations. And uh, God's doing some great things, really blessed. Uh, our team to Watson went last week for our youth team, and they went up to work in Watson. Let me remind you, if you don't know, Watson is a small town of 700 people in the Yukon. It is built on the Alaskan Highway. It is uh, mainly our beloved First Nations live there. And uh, for 27 years, Willow Park Church has been sending teams to run teen and children's camp to Watson Lake. That's fantastic, isn't it? Fantastic. And in our Willow One prayers, and we are a praying church, and we love prayer, we've been praying for Watson Lake, particularly this year, as we had one of the young men who came down there, got converted from Watson Lake and joined our pursuit school of evangelism, then went to France to minister amongst the refugees, Sudanese, Afghanistan, those from uh, North Africa, minister there, and then he's come back and gone back to Watson Lake to minister at the teen camp. Amazing. Uh, we're so blessed by that. But this year's teen camp is the, um, the most attended teen camp we have ever had in Watson Lake. So uh, we're pleased. Now, when I say most attended, we're used to like Garden Lake, hundreds and thousands, and we're used to uh, Green Bay and, of course, our own Ark as well, and Maple Springs. Uh, but this week, they, this past week, they had. 32 teenagers on the camp, which is the biggest they've ever had. Now, there's only 700 in the town. So, you know, if they all get saved, what's going to happen? Revival. So um, it's, uh, it's amazing what God is, uh, is doing. So keep praying, church. I wrote to those of you that come to Willow One Prayer. Well, Tanya Shizaki did, and she uh, filled you in on that. Keep praying for them. Kids our camp starts tomorrow, and, um, and they're in for a big week. They never turn away a kid, no matter what, who they are. If there's 80 that turn up or 100, in that, I've been there. I've been there, by the way. I'm not just talking, you know, like past the talk. I've been, I've been there. And the mosquitoes <laughs> are the size of small sparrows. And... They sit on the end of your bed and they go, shall we eat him here or take him into the bush and, and drag you in? So um, um, I'm really uh, blessed by that. And uh, all that God's doing and the way that the Lord is moving and speaking and working. We're jumping into John's gospel. Uh, we spent... Uh, a lot of time at the beginning of the year through John's Gospel and through the summer, I'll be teaching it pretty systematically as we work our way through. And we're going to enter, which is uh, John chapter 11. And I realize instantly when I uh, shake all of your hands, give you a hug, welcome you this morning to Willow Park, having been here uh, nine years, I know the many of your stories. And then I look at the text and I go, Lord, 
This is a hard text because I know that there are people in our congregation that have suffered grief, that have suffered pain, that have waited for a miracle, and one hasn't come in the way that one expects. I was at Creekside last Sunday morning, and uh, a dear member of our congregation who works for us, Vanessa Dobson, who looks after all our web and uh, all of our communications, Facebook, um, she, uh, the week before, her dad was driving along the road and had a heart attack and died. And I was, I didn't expect to see her in church. Um, funeral was yesterday. And not only did I not expect to see her and do pray for the Dobson family, but also her lovely mother, Holly. I was like, oh, Lord. This is a story that has so many layers to it in John chapter 11. Because the truth is, it is a significant story that speaks to so many problems you and I face in life. It speaks to those experiences. It speaks to those significant obstacles and difficulties and painful journeys that we travel through. It speaks on so many levels. And it was, it was lovely to pray with the family at the end of the service at our Lake Country campus. And uh, sometimes there are moments of real privilege in pastoral ministry. Let's jump in. John chapter 11. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany and the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sister sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews tried to stone you, and yet you are going back there? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours of daylight? A man who walks by the day will not stumble, for he sees this world's light. It is when he walks by the night that he stumbles, for he has no light. And after he had said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus, has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he's asleep, he will get up, get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them, Lazarus is dead. If you've been to a, a major European city, or a major American city, you know that, that one of the big problems of modern society is, of course, uh, traffic, lineups, traffic jams, 
just the problem of traffic. I, I lived in Birmingham for many years, and, and you know as you fly into Birmingham City International Airport, the plane moves around the city, and down below, it's a city of two million people, a conurbation of six million people, uh, like a Chicago or like many great cities. And you, you can see the flow of traffic. And what I used to do was always, as we went round the city to land at the International, work out where the traffic uh, lines were. Because this particular city is famous for all of the, um, the traffic jams. They can be tw- lineups can be 24, 30 miles long. And so you want to avoid that. Now, I know Kelowna's got its traffic problems. Oh, Springfield's a problem today. What are we going to do? I have to take Enterprise. And, and we make those kind of, oh, those big city decisions. And, and ca- people from Kamloops, if you're from Kamloops, welcome. God bless you. Uh, but people from Kamloops always moan about Highway 97 driving through Kelowna. Nightmare. And, and, and it's all to do with perspective. And when you've experienced a 25, 30 mile tailback and you're sat there, all you see is the car in front of you, the car behind you, the car beside you. And you're wondering to yourself, why is this happening? And you get to that point where you want to get out the car, take a baseball bat and, and smash them. <laughs> Maybe that's not you. No. Maybe it's me that needs to be redeemed. And, or a cricket bat. And, and so... So you realize, you know, it's what's in front of you, but it's all about perspective, about coming up. And when you look from above, you see the problems completely different. And in this story about Lazarus' death, it's about looking from above. But there is different perspectives. There are Mary and Martha looking from ground level, and there is Jesus Christ, as it were, coming up from a different and completely perspective. It's like the great story of David facing Goliath. He says, well, who is this uncircumcised man when he comes against the armies of the Lord? There you have a different perspective. The Israelites were thinking of the problem. David was thinking of the might of God. And here we see a major problem taking place, a major obstacle. The reality is in life, many of us face many obstacles. We face bereavement. We face disappointment. We face problems with jobs and difficulties. We face problems with our own sickness. Maybe a child Maybe an obstacle of life, a relationship, a marriage that is not working, that is not happening, that problems exist and we face obstacles. And at ground level, it feels like, where is Jesus? Where is Jesus in this problem? Where is Jesus in this difficulty? How on earth am I going to get perspective on this? And this is a family emergency. Bethany was a place that Jesus loved to go. He loved Mary and Martha, his good friend Lazarus, their younger brother. He loved to hang out there. This was his place where he kicked off his shoes and relaxed. Great cooks. 
wonderful environment. The disciples, this was a famous place for them. The disciples would go there. It was a place where they could all relax and enjoy themselves and laugh and, and have an experience. It's spoken about with, with real pleasure, with real connection, with real intimacy. This was Jesus' friends, if you like, his family. He loved them. So instantly... There's a family emergency, and there's no 911 to call. There's no service. There's suddenly, she says, send word. Notice here, in verse 3. So this sister sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. She didn't have any doubt that the one that he loved, he would come instantly. It's interesting that the word love here is the word in the Greek, friendship. The one that you have a profound, deep friendship is sick. So come. We want you to come right now. We need you to come. And the message would have gone. And they expected Jesus to jump on his charger, to jump like a, 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 a knight in uh, glorious armor, to jump on a horse and to ride as quickly as he could to come and to come to the family because the pro- family were in need. They're in pain. They're in problems. They were in difficulty. The, the, the brother was dying. His breathing was changing. Probably had an, effect, an infection. Most people in the ancient world died because of infections before penicillin and before antibiotics were, were, um, were ever uh, invented. People died. Their temperatures would rage. Their breathing would change. And they were watching him die. And all the answer was, come Jesus, we need you now. Your friend who you love is dying. And then verse 5, it says, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. The word love is used again. And the word love is not friendship, it's agape. It kicks it up even more. It's not just a friendship of relationship. It's that I, we really love. This is sacrificial. This is love that gives. This is love that will do anything. This is love that that is the deepest, highest, most profound love of commitment. He says, this is how Jesus loved the family, and yet he decides not to come. That's hard, isn't it? Don't you care, Jesus? Aren't you interested in what's going on? Don't you care about what's taking place? Your friend is dying. You love him with all of your heart. But you are delaying. And sometimes in our Christian walk, the hardest thing is when we think Jesus should turn up now and Jesus doesn't turn up in the way we expect him to turn up. Oh, we want Jesus to turn up immediately in this way. But Jesus doesn't seem to turn up in this way. He doesn't seem, he's delaying. Well, what does this mean? Does it mean that, that he doesn't care? Well, he loved them, agape love. He was devoted to them. Doesn't it mean that he's not interested? Does he mean that he's fickle? What does it mean about Jesus? Why is Jesus delaying? It reminds me of Joseph. 
Why is God delaying? I find myself in a pit, in a cistern. Why is God delaying? I find myself in a prison cell, forgotten by those who said they remember me. Why is God delaying? I've been accused of rape when I'm not, I've never done anything like this. It's dreadful. Where is God? Why is God in the delay? Well, there's a little verse here in verse 4 that says, No, it is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. It's hard to believe that the delay is because God's going to do something glorious. It's hard. And yet a delay, we are taught in Scripture, a delay happens for a number of reasons. First of all, because God is doing something unique. And we have to trust him. Secondly, he's delayed because he's building our faith. Thirdly, it is delayed because he's strengthening in us. And sometimes we have an idea that God should turn up in a certain way. But God is doing something far more profound, far more deep, far more amazing. And it's very difficult for us in the middle of our struggle to trust that the sovereignty and the love and the agape love of God is reaching out to us and that God is with us even in the darkest and the most difficult times that God will be glorified. It's hard, isn't it? It's hard when we don't get the answers. When Jesus doesn't turn up, imagine what it was like for those days waiting. His breathing's getting shallower and shallower. And, and Mary is walking down the road. Is Jesus coming? He's not coming. He's not coming. If only the master was here. Martha walks out. Is Jesus coming? He's not coming. If only the master was here. Walks out, Jesus, where is he? Anybody heard of Jesus? Is he coming? Jerusalem's only two miles away. Is he coming from Jerusalem? Have you heard about Jesus? Is he coming, our friend? Is he coming? Where is he? Repeatedly, is he coming? He's not coming. Where is Jesus? Where is Jesus? This was kind of their lament. If only Jesus would turn up, it would all be different. Have you been there? Have you been there in life when suddenly, if only Jesus would turn up, it would have been different? I've been there. I've been there. I remember, as you know, that I went back to, my, I was partly raised by my grandfather, and I went back and, and, and sat with him until he passed, 93 years old. And for two nights and days, I sat with him as he breathed and I talked to him as we often do. And the hearing is the last thing to go and speaking blessing, encouragement. And and there are those moments when things shift and things change. And suddenly I see the breathing change and... 1 a.m. in the morning, the breathing changes. I start to pray the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. 
Thy will be done. And they would breathe it and they speak it. And at the last moment of Amen, he passes into the presence of Jesus. And then two days later, my mum gets into a shower and dies instantly. Where is Jesus in the delay? Where is Jesus in the story? Where is Jesus? Why isn't he turning up? If only you'd come here, Jesus. But Lazarus is dead. So they had the funeral. And it means they would have wrapped his body in his cloak that would enable him to travel to the eternity, which they would do a certain robe. They would lift him up. The ladies would have gone first. They would have walked first towards the grave. The men would have walked behind. They would have had special funeral food. Did you know that they had funeral food in the ancient world? Oh, yes. They had boiled eggs. And they had round loaves of bread and lentils, very healthy. And, and it represented, the boiled eggs represented, and the round loaf, that, that he was, Lazarus was rolling into eternity. And as they ate the eggs and the round loaf and the lentils, they reminded that he's on a journey into eternity. That was the food. In England, we have like everything beige food. <laughs> You know, sandwiches and pork pie and, I don't know, would, and things that, if I name, you wouldn't even know what it is. But it's, what's pork pie? It's evil. Um, <laughs> but we do have traditions. Traditions when we're in, in the funeral and they, they're in that place. But Jesus still hasn't turned up even for the funeral. They go back to the house and in their tradition, they'd bring out their three-legged stools. And they'd sit on stools and people would sit on the floor. And for days, they would sit there and that's where Mary is. She sat with the people. And then she hears Jesus arriving. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, verse 19, verse 20, she went out to meet, but Mary stayed at home amongst the people with them sitting on their stools. They would have brought their own stools from their own areas, and they would have sat down because the house wouldn't have had stools to sit on. Everybody brought their stool to sit on at a funeral, and she arrives and meets him. Lord, verse 21, Martha said to Jesus, If you had been here, my brother would not have died. How many times has she said that in the last four days? If you'd been here, he wouldn't have died. If you'd been here, if only you'd been here. And then she realizes that she's been brutally honest. She's been brutally pouring out her heart. She's expressing the deepness of her emotion. You can hear it in the text. If you had only been here. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. She's gone from being brutally honest to giving the good religious answer. Good theology here. She's not a Sadducee. She's got good theology. She believes in resurrection. 
And I want to say to you that when you travel through the delays of life and you're looking for God to move and to work, I want to say to you that God is not afraid of your brutal honesty and your ability to pour out your heart. That God is... The, the misconception of a New Testament idea that as a Christian, you can't pour out your heart and you can't tell God about your pain and you can't express your grief, your confusion, your agony is completely wrong. Just read the Psalms. God laments with us. God understands your pain. Jesus has turned up and he is with Mary. Sometimes what we need to do is just be honest with God. What's going on? If only you turned up. What's happening? And then she says, Yes, Lord, verse 27, she told him, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who was to come into the world. We notice that he uses the phrase in verse 25. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Do you believe that this is not the end? Do you believe that God's power, that God's going to raise the dead? Do you believe in eternity, Martha? Do you believe this? And the most beautiful beautiful phrase that, that rivals Mark 9 where Peter declares the lordship and the messiahship of Christ is spoken. The most powerful line spoken by Martha. I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God who was to come into this world. I believe that. Isn't that an amazing thing? That at one level, she's in agony of grief and disappointment and pain and wondering, God, what are you doing? And on the other moment, in the middle of that pain, she can utter the words, I believe that you are the Christ. Wow. Wow. I believe that you are the Christ. And that has been the most amazing things that when I watch Christians... And I watch my own life in the middle of the confusion of pain and death, of difficulty and problems. And I'm wondering what on earth is going on. Somehow I can say, I believe that you are the Christ. I believe that you are the resurrection and the life. I believe that even though I don't get it, I don't understand the delay, I don't know what's going to happen, but you are the resurrection and one day you will put everything right and I will live forever because Jesus Christ is the risen saviour from the dead. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah. He has conquered everything. But there's this what C.S. Lewis calls the shadow land. When there's times when we just don't get it. Mary hears that he's here and she runs out. When Mary reached that place, verse 32, Jesus was and saw him. She fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Have you heard those words again? 
Mary and Martha have been saying that to each other for all days. If Jesus is here, if Jesus is here, if only you've been here, if only you've been here. And when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and trouble. Look at this word in. He was deeply moved, deeply moved in spirit and trouble. In the Greek, this phrase is used in a different context in ancient Greek. It's used in the context of a horse that shudders, that shakes. I grew up a little bit around horses. I had a horse. My horse was called Strawberry. A very manly name for a horse. And I used to go to the stables and Strawberry was there. And, but I saw the horses and when the horses were all together and the fields and it, they were hungry or they were afraid or they were desperate. And many of you are horse handlers. You know that when a horse neighs and shudders, a horse does it from its very depth and gives out that, oh, they're, they're picking with each other. It, it, it shudders and it's like, it's like an internal earthquake in a horse as a horse shakes and neighs when it's desperate, when it's afraid, when it's competitive, when it's hungry, when it's won something. The horse shudders like an earthquake deep within. What this is telling us is that when Jesus saw the pain of Mary and Martha and the pain in the family, he knew what the end game is, but he shuddered like a very earthquake because he connected with their pain. There is no other world religion that presents God in this way. That in your pain, in your challenges, in your difficulties, let me tell you something. Christ shudders with you. I find that so comforting. And then we get the smallest verse in the Bible. And Jesus wept. Why did he weep? He weeps because at that moment... He's identifying with the frailty of humanity's brokenness, with the reality of death, with the reality of pain. And he weeps with those that weep. He mourns with those that mourn. He shudders when you shudder. He loves you. And at that moment, in a strange, bizarre way, for those of us who are full of the Holy Spirit, we're able to say, I believe that you are the Lord, the Christ that has come into the world. So we learn a couple of things from this story. We learn, number one, that delays are often there for the glory of God, and delays are there to strengthen our faith, and delays are there... To, to do something quite profound and it's difficult. We learn, number two, that it's okay for you to pour out your 
pain to be honest with him. That when Jesus turns up to say to Jesus, help me to understand, let me to know, let me know your heart. And number three, we learn from this text that when we mourn, when we weep, when we struggle, when we shudder, when his face becomes wet with tears, because our Savior identifies with even the darkest journeys we all travel through. And when you're stuck in a traffic jam of life, it's hard to know from the perspective what God's doing. And the way God's working. The way God's moving. But he loves you with a love of agape. He loves you with that way. And life isn't always like you're stuck in a traffic jam. Like if you've seen that musical, La La Land, yeah? I hated the musical. But there's that moment in the opening scenes when suddenly they're all... And then everybody breaks into dance and singers appear from trucks and everybody's having a wonderful time. Life's not always like that, is it? (laughs) It's not always everything's awesome like Lego Christianity. But what we do know is that Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. I've got this. And then, of course, he stands in front of the tomb. And as he stands in front of the tomb, he says, remove and speaks and calls Lazarus out. Jump with me to Revelation 21 as we finish. Revelation 21 and verse 4 says, He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. Do you believe that? Because that's the end of the story. We all face our tombs. We all face our crisis. We will all face, as I was chatting to some people here, we can't, we can't argue with our birth certificates. Even the greatest revivalists couldn't argue with their birth certificates. And we all have problems in life where we wonder, Jesus, where are you? But we know that he is the resurrection and the life. And we know that he will wipe Every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. We live in the present order of things. But one day, the old order will pass away. The old order will go. And he will take your face. And he will take my face and he will wipe my tears away with his love and his grace. And I can say, I believe that you are the Christ. I believe that you are the Christ. That you are there. And we have such hope 
because he then speaks to the open tomb. They would have pushed back the stone. There would have been eight places for bodies to lie in that particular tomb in the way it was designed. And they would have called him forward, representing that what you may consider is dead, Christ can bring alive. Perhaps even now in your life, there are areas where you're wondering how God's ever going to bring life into that problem. How God's ever going to speak into that difficulty. How God's going to bring his resurrection power into that problem. But our hope is this. Here or there. Or when the new order comes. That yes, the beauty of Christianity and its profound, unique message is that our Savior shudders like an earthquake when we shudder in pain. And he's with us in that journey. Let's pray together. Before I pray, let me say a few words. I really pray that the Lord, and for some of us, we're sort of in that period of asking the Lord, where are you? Where are you? What is this about? Where are you? Going backwards and forwards. But I just want to encourage you that you ask the Lord for his divine perspective. Lord, what are you doing? Lord, how are you at work here? Lord, I need your whisper. Lord, I need to be reminded of a truth. Lord, I think of friends who are traveling through difficult times. I think of the world we live in. Help me, Lord, to not always have the perspective of the ground level, but help me to have a different perspective. And Father, I pray at the end of our gathering, as we worship in this final song, I pray that you will take us all and give us a vision that you are the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. Give us a fresh vision of the end of the story. Give us an encouragement that yes, even when we feel, Lord, if only you'd been here. Help us, Lord, to connect to your agape love. You don't just befriend us. You give everything to us. Thank you, Lord, for the love of Jesus. And Holy Spirit, we invite you in the final moments of this service to come amongst us and to fill us afresh. And for those that need the ministry love of Jesus to come and just grab hold of them now and hold them tight in your love this morning, I ask. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together.